Hello everybody and welcome to Brunvagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. How are you doing, old people? Seems like you are getting out of it. So I can tell you that here in Switzerland, just today, actually yesterday for you that are listening, everything is quite more open than before. Also in Italy, some lights is out there. Seems like they're gonna open something on the 4th of May. And so people can go out and ride the bike. And what else? Yeah, in UK, I think the 11th of May is going to be the open door time. Anyways, still be careful and uh, try to get as much inspiration as you can. And uh, then once that everything is going to be open again, try to enjoy as much as you can the outdoors. This year, probably there's not going to be so much space to take flights, ride and actually fly around the world and visit the old world. But we still have our bikes and we can explore our surroundings. That's what I'm going to do. I can tell you people that something that I really would like to do once that everything is going to be a bit more open, apart from riding with all my friends that I have here in Switzerland and climbing the highest pass of the Swiss Alps is gonna be as well discover a bit two regions of this country that hosts me, so Switzerland. I want to go to the Jura, Canton Jura, because everybody told me that it's amazing. I've seen a lot of photos out there that are amazing. I just want to go there. And the second one is the Emmentaler region, because I love cheese. Everybody knows that I love cheese, don't I? Obviously everything like this is gonna be done with my amazing bike and I'm talking about the open up that right now is outside of the balcony on the trainer but I can tell you I just ordered actually I just received a new cassette a bit more bikepacking one and I'm gonna plug it in as soon as I can and then I think that the trolley uh, the trolley the roller so the trainer is gonna go down in the cellar till next November but it was great fun. Anyways, still, what I want to say, nothing. I want to introduce this episode to you by saying, remember to follow my accounts and social media. Most important one is Instagram. So Calamaro CC, Calamaro CC or Calamaro Rock. Calamaro CC because there is no K over there. And remember, please, to subscribe to the Apple Podcasts or also to the Spotify channel and you're going to receive all the time a new alert that a new episode is out and if you can on apple Podcasts, just remember to put a rate so rate the episodes or the podcast itself please put a comment that's a way that will help me to climb a bit the charts what else yeah share it with your friends a podcast is always better with some friends i want to give you a couple of tips because this episode is gonna be a bit more entertainment episodes. I remember that some time ago I gave you a bit of tips on what to watch in this period of quarantine still it's almost over and to get some inspiration about cycling and going outdoor. I just want to give you a couple of those again and I'm talking about Tugende that is an amazing documentary about Tour of Rwanda 2019 as I remember 
And also there is a guest that is a really good friend of mine and I'm talking about Fabian Burri, that is a guy that lives here in Bern. He's also a friend of Jan, another friend of mine. So yeah, watch it, it's really good and it's really inspirational. The other one I told you already last time is For the Love of Matt, the amazing documentary of Benedict Campbell. Benedict Campbell that today is here on the podcast and you're gonna listen to the interview that we recorded three weeks ago. In the meanwhile, I've heard that another podcast talked about it and mentioned him. Uh, I'm talking about probably the most famous podcast of the cycling world. I'm talking about the cycling podcast. Uh, they are doing this kind of spin-off. The name is The Explore. Everything started one year ago and now they started with an, uh, a second season of it. And they mentioned as well For the Love of Matt. At the time that I was recording this episode, Benedict was so cool that he put a special code to consume, actually to watch this video for free on Vimeo. Now it's expired. Why? Because Vimeo puts a cap on the maximum download for free that people can get on his platform. So, but really I can tell you, go there, uh, get the um, video, get the film, get the movie, get the documentary for the love of mud. And it's just 50 bucks, really, 15, one, five bucks. And this really amazing, it's worth it. It's an amazing explanation, introduction of Cyclocross. All the main people are there, all the spirit of Cyclocross is there. And you know that I love Cyclocross. And it's all the time, anyways, a good support to Benedict Campbell. To Benedict great guy. During the interview we talked about it, we talked about his experience on all your professional experience, not only about cycling, and we talked about also his amazing article series, photos that he takes for the amazing publication that is The Ruler. We talked about a lot of stuff and actually I really like him because yeah, it really goes close to the main characters of cycling to understand, to explore the more intimate part of them and not just to talk about what oh, was the race or stuff like this. Nobody cares about that. Listen to that. Give a shout to everybody you, th you think that yeah can appreciate it. And now nah, I'll talk to you later. Well, I will be completely sincere with everybody of you out there and also with my guests uh, that I got to know that he did an amazing documentary about cyclocross just last week when he went live with this kind of promotion of uh, having this amazing documentary on Vimeo for free. Even if I was knowing him, and then with him I would say Benedict, I would know I was knowing him already for his amazing photos for the magazine Ruler. Small brackets also here. Also, Ruler is giving all the past issues for free from their application right now. So it's a good time to catch everything up. But going straight to the conversation, I'm here together with Benedict Campbell. Hi, Benedict. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thank you. Well, spending a bit of time at home like everybody in this period, don't you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's all a bit of a shock, but uh, I'm just 
carry on. Yes, as you were saying, just carry on. And I really appreciate what you did of, of sending out all this amazing content that you produce in order for letting all of us staying home well entertained with super quality, quality things. And I would say from myself, but also from a lot of people I talked with, a huge thank you for what you have done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, Benedict, I just said a couple of words about you at the beginning. There were just a few, uh, but I would love probably better for you to introduce yourself. The Benedict Campbell, artist, photographer, video producer, cyclocross and mud lover and cyclist, probably. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I've uh, I've been around, as I say, for quite a long time and uh uh, in my industry that is more advertising photography, um, I've always been known to be the specialist that won't specialise in one thing. That, uh, um, for me, I like lots of different uh, things to do in order to keep my mind fresh. Um, but in my field of photography, uh, Everybody wants you to specialize in one style of photography so they can pigeonhole you or they can go to you knowing you're the person for that type of image. But that is very boring. Uh, lots of my friends do that and they eventually they drive some nuts because they're doing the same thing over and over again. So I've my whole career, I've literally been sort of changing it up as soon as it gets boring, I tend to sort of completely re-discover re sort of something. Um, so I, I am officially uh, a sort of full-blown advertising photographer and have been for about 30, almost 35 years. I started in uh, fashion photography in London uh, during the 80s and worked my way and I did a, a stint in food photography uh, and then fell into car photography automotive photography for uh, quite a few years and that was a very sort of specialized area and, and quite an important one I was in the beginning of my career I was also a black and white hand printer so that doesn't I don't think that exists anymore but that was uh, all the famous photographers that used to shoot beautiful black and white photographs would never actually print them themselves they would go to someone like myself and talk to me and say what they wanted to get out of a black and white print and so I'd work on uh, their prints for them um, so that was uh, an amazing, I did it for a year and it was an amazing thing to do because it's, a lot of those things still translate now. You can put the same ideas and feeling into Lightroom than you could when you were working on a, a sort of a larger and working with chemistry. So I'm kind of, I always feel uh, that I'm in a lucky as far as photographers go, I bridge everything from large format film all the way to digital. So where a lot of photographers these days have only ever worked in digital. So 
um, their learning curve is very fast, but they they have sort of limitations or they don't really have a, a true depth of understanding of a photograph sometimes or the quality more than anything. So, yeah, so I, I left car photography, got bored of it after about 10 years and got into uh, special effects and set designs because the car photography that we used to do, uh, we used to build giant sets, like huge like movie sets. And um, I got quite interested coming from a family of architects in the actual designing of sets and uh, what was in called uh, trompe-loys, you know, sort of uh, uh, sets that kind of make you, uh, you're not sure what's going on. It became sort of special effects. And then from that, the, the 3D sort of CGI, CG digital world started developing and then that became a natural kind of thing that I learned and got involved in that and became very seriously involved in it at the very beginning. Um, that was exciting, exhausting, but very exciting. And I started to work on a lot of futuristic sets and then wow. I started working on a lot of future. Um, there were these groups of people around the world that the movie industry would use a lot and we were just basically it was a mixture of writers scientists and uh, people like myself and we used to have sort of bounce ideas around sort of you know visions of the future and quite often i'd be commissioned to to make them into uh, a visual way so I used to do a lot of that and became sort of like the robot man, the, the you know, the sort of the number one robot designer. And so if you know my CG work, a lot of people still will refer back. Some of my robots are, are the sort of starting point for robots. Um, and they, they become more famous than me. You know, I can kind of, watch any film on that has any kind of robots or androids and I will see little tiny um, signatures uh, you know the way that something's made or something's you know little tiny details and I will see my own things in all these films so that's uh, kind of quite nice I quite often get people like contact me saying oh my god I've seen you know this film is that one of your robots? And it's like, I'll watch the film and it's like, whoa. Because they all, they all take, uh, you know, uh, inspiration from lots of different things, but you can see small mansions. Yeah. You can, you can see your, your stuff. If you know what to look for, you can see that's really kind of fun. And I get, sometimes I get quite fame, what I consider quite um, famous CG artists will reference me in, in an interview. You know, they'll say, oh, I was inspired. I, when I was like 14, I saw, I used to have this picture on my wall of a robot, uh, you know, done by Benedict Campbell. And it's like, wow, 
that's always quite sort of catches me off guard. So that's kind of nice. But with that whole CG stuff, like I said, it was pretty exhausting because you're, you're like a, in that it was developing so quickly that and everybody wanted to sort of like be the number one. So you're constantly sort of, you know, sort of trying to stay on top of your game. Uh, and I kind of missed real photography after a while you know I kind of missed traveling I was sort of spending it in an office behind a computer uh, lots of things like that and then uh, I sort of started going the other way completely the other way so when I make if you probably have seen any of my other films they're usually deliberately gritty they have no special effects there's nothing no tricks they're all very kind of earthy very kind of like um old school filmmaking um so i mean my sort of career pattern has been quite interesting in the sense that i'll go right back to the beginning and the reason that uh my work is a lot of it cycling at the moment is because i used to be an aspiring pro so when i was in, I started racing when I was about 12 and I was kind of getting pretty good at sort of 16 uh, and very serious and literally looking at being a pro uh, and then I had a motorcycle accident at 17 and basically ended any dreams of a pro career at all. I had very sort of serious injuries. Wow. So it was a kind of sort of like uh, uh, lucky to be alive a second I got a second chance at living so a lot of people always say that that experience made gave me the drive that I have you know because it's like you get a second chance and realizing that how close you are to sort of you know not existing um, but you know I still have the two-wheel love um, so that made me have to rethink, you know, and then I decided that I'd focus everything on photography and that's what I sort of did really. Cool. Cool. So yeah, uh, photography is there. Cycling is still there in your life. Let's start from here. Let's start from cycling. Which one is your activity now as a cyclist? We were talking before of records about, yeah, your love for also cycling off-road. Yeah, um, it's really funny, actually, because when I was a junior, we, we were f sort of made to do cyclocross as part of our winter, keeping our sort of training up during the winter. And I used to hate it. With oh. passion, it was you know it's pretty hardcore in England in the winter, yeah. And uh, I kind of liked it when I was winning, up to about sixteen. And then as soon as uh, we crossed, when as soon as I was sixteen, we didn't have like under twenty threes. It literally went from uh, junior that was under sixteen to a senior, so. My, so I went from one week I was sort of like podium to the the next week it was I was being literally beaten up by kind of like 
30-year-old tough cyclocross riders pushing me into the uh, barbed wire fences and it uh, it kind of put me off big time. My very last race, I actually remember, well, I mean, I I was running with my bike and trying to let the tyre down at the same time so I could get out of the race. And I always remember how kind of like, how, you know, I was seriously running up this slope and fiddling with the valve to try and let the tyre down so on my front wheel so I could, you know, say, ah, I can't, I've got a flat, I've got got to come out. So it was quite funny that that was my last cyclocross race till, I don't know, about eight years ago, where... um, where I live in Oxford, it's quite flat. So I love mountain biking, but when I work in the States, I used to do a lot of mountain biking and it's fantastic. You know, in there's so much mountain biking in the US and it's so dramatic and it's great. But back here in Oxford, it's very flat and there's, there's no mountains. So I was just went over to a cyclocross bike and I was just enjoying riding around. I live on the outskirts of Oxford and there's lots and lots of like bridal waves that are kind of like green lanes, uh, lots of trails and riding a cyclocross bike is the perfect bike to have because you can ride it everywhere you want. Um, and that's kind of, that, that's been... You know, most of my cycling is cross riding. Um, I, I mean, I ride road, but uh, I love riding cross country. I just love the exploring and the kind of like just looking around and just feel with a cross bike and go anywhere you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And also, this is the cool thing of uh, going off road in general and uh, going off road with a bike. You can really move fast enough to cover a lot of cool things and to explore a lot of cool things but also slow enough to enjoy them and by going off-road this means as well that you can really explore places where usually people don't go on the bike and it's cool right yeah i mean i have uh, i've introduced uh i call it cross-country cycling to so many uh, roadies over the years friends of mine that would only ever ride road and i mean now with the the whole gravel trend it's um opened up a lot more um but it's it's taken quite a long time for people to sort of realize how much fun it is um i mean working in sort of california the the americans uh i feel really understood the fun of riding cross country before but before a lot of Europeans did and they you know they very much were building bikes you know with fat tires and you know just having fun with cycling you know where a lot of Europeans were so stuck in sort of like uh, GC races and you know it was you know I don't even think a lot of cyclocross riders would ride cross country. You know, they'd they'd just ride circuits and they'd just practice riding, you know, drills. I don't think they rode for fun 
cross country. Yeah. Yeah. And why do you think that? Why do you think, if you can move in this direction, that you probably the Americans or people in the US understood more what it meant to do the one that you call cross country or exploring cycling, while more in Europe, people are following more that's everything that is road or GC races, as you mentioned, and everything like this. Do you think that this has something about the culture of cycling that now is established in Europe? And I mean, basically following a lot Giro d'Italia, Tour de France and uh, classic road cycling and stuff like this, that you want to transpone these kind of things that you consume around also in your daily life? Or is because of some other reason? Well, I think in Europe, we've grown up with the Tour and the Giro and all the big races. Um, they've just, they're, you know, they're, they're around us. And to, we've grown up with that's what racing bicycles or what cycling is all about. Where that's, for the Americans, that's quite exotic. Or, you know, only some of them ever grew up with that. It's quite a rare thing. You know, it wasn't televised maybe in a, the US like it was televised in Europe. Um, so I think that's where the divide is. So there, and, uh, you know, mountain biking was very much a, a US thing. You know, it sort of started in the US and they, uh, you know, I think... Uh, riding on the road in the early days in the US, they, it's such a, well, in Cal I can speak more of California. It's a, it's a place for cars. You know, cars is the, you know, cars rule the road. You know, if you're a cyclist, uh, you know, in about 15 years ago, it, riding around in the States was quite dangerous because, you know, the, they didn't expect people to be riding bicycles on roads so you've there is that kind of like motor culture you know motor car culture that um where a lot of americans would come to europe and they'd ride in france let's say and they'd be like oh my god the car drivers they're so friendly that they you know they're not trying to knock me off the road um so That's definitely one of the reasons I think that I know I feel much more comfortable riding off-road in the States because the roads aren't, you know, aren't particularly nice. I'd worked a lot in Texas and people warned me what it was like in Texas. And uh, I rode a lot of cross-country when I was in Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Because the cars really don't like you or the yeah, drivers yeah. don't like you. Roads are not nice there. No, at all. No. I mean, they get they they uh, gradually they're getting better. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I'm always so um, conscious of the difference between the car drivers and the cyclists, and trying to to be a, a nice cyclist to cars, so that you know, as friendly as possible, so that the gradually the culture um, gets friendlier. You know, so if you are a cyclist in England, uh, if you sort of cycle on the pavement or you cycle over red lights and stuff like that, it doesn't help 
um, with the sort of them and us that you get from car drivers and cyclists. So you have to kind of do, you have to sort of play by the rules in order to try and make for a better sort of relationship between cars and bikes. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You need to be kind to receive kindness on the other side. It's not that somebody's in the right place and somebody's in the wrong place. Everybody are on the same place and we need to share it with as much kindness as we have. Yeah. I mean, on one of the most incredible places I've ever rode a bike is in Portland, Oregon. You, you must, in Portland is very, um, very sort of uh, friendly cycling city in America, like probably the friendliest cycling city ever. And that was almost slightly nervous because you'd come to a cross junction and the car driver would stop, even though it was their right of way, and they'd wave you across the road and wave at you. And this used to make me feel really nervous because you sort of think, the more I get used to this, the more I will meet someone not from Oregon, uh, not from Portland, who will just be like every other American car driver and will just basically drive straight at you. But that's an incredible city for nice cars. Yeah, 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 definitely. Everybody knows Portland as yeah, this kind of bike-friendly city and nice to ride inside, and that's great. Um, staying still, now we we moved actually in this direction of the, of the off-road, so probably we're going to stay there. Let's stay there. And uh, as I said at the beginning, in the intro of this episode, I got to know you about uh, from the amazing documentary that is For the Love of Mud, For the Love of the Mud. And uh, you produced this one, as I remember, in 2015. Tell me more about, yeah, this kind of, your attachment between media and cyclocross and what you like about that. Yeah, um, so the reason the film came about, um, I'd... So in part of my career, obviously, I have to make films about things. And mm -hmm. generally, I'm always working for a client. So it usually corporations, ad agencies. And the, the problem with every, anyone in the creative industry when you're working for people is that you always feel that you're having to do uh, what other people want. And sometimes you feel that what they want isn't the best thing. So what I used to do is I sort of uh, carry on doing my commercial work. And then every year I would take time out and spend some of the money that I'd um, earned and make a little documentary. And this would, uh, I could... You know, I do this on my own. So I would, you know, when I'm working commercially, I might work with a big team. I might work with a big crew. But when I did my own little documentaries, it would literally be just me, camera, and I could do whatever I want. I hadn't have anyone to answer to. I do all the editing myself. I do the soundtrack myself. So I'd keep all the costs and it would purely be my project. And I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't worry about anything. So I did 
my first one of those films called uh, Cafe Cowboy about a motorcycle builder in, uh, in California. And it, it became very, very popular. And that was, I think, oh, it was nine years ago. It was quite an old film. And it was so, so successful that I decided the next year that I would spend, do a slightly bigger film. And I made a film on the tour of Britain called um, uh, It Ain't About Cav. Um, and that's very much a fly in the wall documentary. It was only meant to be uh, 20 minutes long and it turned out that it was a whole feature length sort of documentary. So I'd done these two films. It was coming to my the next year and I was thinking, oh, I wonder what film I'll do this year. And I'd been talking to a lot of uh, my colleagues I've been working with and a couple of young filmmakers. And I said, why don't you make a film about cyclocross? It's a great thing to make a film about. And no one else has really made a film about it. And they never took, took it up. And so when it came round to it, I thought, hmm, maybe I should do a little film on cyclocross. That'd be fun because it's so, it's so interesting to me to make a film on it. And no one's really done one. And I phoned... Uh, a friend of mine who was racing and organizing races and I sort of said I'm thinking about doing a film on cyclocross what do you think and what areas do you think I should cover and we had a sort of uh, telephone call for about 45 minutes and I put the phone down and I turned around to my wife who's working in the same office and I said I'm so sorry and she goes, what's the matter? I go, I'm really, really sorry. Go, what are you sorry about? I goes, I'm going to make a film on cyclocross and it's going to be a big one. <laughs> because I realised there were too many things I couldn't you know, miss out. I had to, to have in the film. And then literally from that day I started, and I think it took me about two years. Oh. Um, I, I, I met up with uh, a friend of mine who specialises in photographing cyclocross, Balant. He's probably number one cyclocross photographer. He produces a book every year. And we had a, a coffee and he went through all the races. You know, we sort of marked out all the races the next season of what should be covered, you know, the, the important races. So... Uh, he helped me sort of plan what races to film on the first season and, you know, what people to focus on. And uh, I just started filming it during the winter uh, season. And it was fantastic fun to film. I really enjoyed it. And I had it laid out, the sort of structure and the idea of doing it in chapters because it... I could only show so much on each thing. Um, and then I, I kind of worked out that it would be a film to introduce people to cyclocross rather than for someone who's dedicated cyclocross. Um, because what they, they want wanted a film that would have the details of what Sven Nies would do on a, on a sort of day-to-day -day basis and what food he and you know what mechanics specialized on and all of that 
and this had to be a film to for me for maybe to introduce a roadie to inspire somebody to go oh that looks really good fun i might try that so that was my sort of objective was to inspire people to take up cyclocross um and that was basically what you know where i started so i mean filming was really good fun and uh you know i sort of traveled around a lot and you know worked in between it uh the editing and the actual making the film was quite torturous because it was there was so much to get in and so much to sort of say that it was difficult to fit it in to just the time that i you know had to do it mm-hmm. um tell me more about that maybe i just want to ask you a technical question then we are going to go a bit more into the topic itself the technical question is do you have a rough idea on how much raw material did you have out of that because it's it looked like really that you got long interviews and long talks and long session of shooting for this for this amazing film i'm not sure what the percentage of the stuff that i used over the stuff that i didn't um i was quite focused um uh, in the sense that i i'd worked out what my strategy was i literally before as i very started filming i'd written out a kind of i call it a chapter i divided the film into chapters so you know i wanted to sort of the history i wanted to find two riders young riders that um were well, one would have been you know whatever but i was very lucky how things fell into place you know just being at the right place at the right time you know i met certain people and it was perfect um there was the three peaks that was uh something that i wanted to make a film about you could make a film about it on its own it's such an incredible race um and i also wanted to get across the this the american side of it because i'd seen how that had grown so quickly and the way that they'd embraced it you know they'd sort of embrace cyclocross as uh, and sort of it, uh, at the stage I was made when I was making the film I think it was the fastest growing sport in America it was it was that that popular and then of course I wanted to get across the belgium life you know the sort of the flemish you know dutch belgium sort of where it's actually you know you grow up with it it's it's what you do you know it's the sport you see on television at the weekend you know it's more popular than football um you know that's i mean i i i love um you know uh dutch belgium flemish cycling you know whether it's the the golden week i mean the holy week or cyclocross i just love their passion um you know it, yeah i just it's just great you you've experienced it it's um it's the best when it comes to cycling mm-hmm. yeah 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 it i can completely yeah i can completely see that and uh probably we can stand from here so it was it the first time that you were following so closely cyclocross and out of that what 
was actually popped up the most and what was closer to your heart and what you liked the most while following for two years the cycle across circuit and uh, documenting it and talking with people and staying close to these people? Yeah, so you're right. I didn't really, before I started making the film, I'd just done local cyclocross races. I did them when I was younger. Um, I had seen a couple of big races, but, you know, a long time ago. And just making, you know, spending as much time as I could uh, in Belgium and in in Holland, I it was the people it was definitely the people that drew me the the fans are so um i mean there are there are different types of fan as uh, there are the in belgium there are a lot as you you've seen there are a lot of people that go to the races as just something to do on a sunday they don't even watch the races they just go to the beer tent and they dance and they get drunk and they just socialize with all their friends so that's one group of people you get and then you get the dedicated um, cyclocross fans who watch it all, you know, they've watched it for years. They've grown up watching it with all the generations of their family. Um, they would probably have raced. Um, though when you quite often follow a rider, you realize that the generations, um, you know, like the grandfather used to race it the the father raced it and now the son is racing or the daughter's racing um the whole family um is involved in some even some of the really big pro riders their families still helping out um it's just a a wonderful sport for that and the the community they're just such a they're a friendly bunch you know um if you go to like the world championships and you can walk about, you can talk to all the levels of riders. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, just a very friendly sport. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say that um, before you were making something like a parallel between football and cyclocross, because as everybody knows in in, um, in the Flanders, cyclocross is more famous, is more attractive for people than football. It's really the first sport, and people can know that. But there is a big difference, I would say, that we all can, can see and we all can feel uh, while we are going to these kind of races. There is a big difference between the two sports. Usually football is a sport where you are watching it from outside and you never really get in contact with all the people that are making the sport. While cyclocross, first of all, the supporters and the audience is part of the show, first thing. And second thing, everybody who competes into the, into the sports, into the race, main race or whatever, everybody's pretty approachable and everybody look like being in a family and that's really the part that i really like from this kind of cycling that is pretty close to another side of cycling that i follow that is the ultra endurance races everybody there work together in order to make this experience the best experience and the most human experience and this is actually the parallel that's why 
I love, and it, seem, it seems like it's exactly the same for you. We all love cyclocross. You can go inside, in your, for example, in your documentary, of course, you have a huge experience in your, in your field. You're a great photographer and you were working with amazing people and blah, blah. But you could just arrive there and interview Sven Ness, that probably is the biggest champion okay before the two new aliens arrived and i'm talking about wonderpool and bonart but he's really the legend of cyclocross so you had the opportunity just to pop up there and interview him that's amazing yeah i mean it was actually well funnily enough he was at that time he was very difficult to interview because he was so so big you know now i think there'd be a lot it's a lot easier because um, he's got time, uh, but he was literally, um, he'd, I mean, he was being pulled around by everybody. Everybody wanted to, to speak to him. He was the hardest person to speak to in the whole racing circuit. Um, so uh, he was actually quite difficult, not difficult in person, just difficult to actually catch. Um I did chase him around for quite a lot, um, but every everybody else was great. You know, um, he was great. Once you get him, he's fantastic. He's a really super nice guy. They're all there isn't anybody that isn't really nice in that whole world. But it's quite ironic that he was actually quite tricky to physically track down. Yeah, but if you think about anybody else in any kind of pro sport, I think it's even more, yeah. it's even tougher, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like in road cycling, uh, ah. it's, you know, uh, I work with a lot of pros uh, in road cycling through Ruler and just shooting. And it is so much harder to get close to a pro, you know, a pro roadie. Um, and mainly because there's so many people around them and there's so much PR, you know, the official way is you're meant to go through their PR. Um, they have managers. Um, it's just, you know, it makes them very, very difficult to, to actually get, you know, close to. And, uh, I mean, my other project, um, is, the is my project P and that is all about getting, you know, scratching the surface of the professional uh, pro riders in the peloton for that exact reason is that they're so, you don't know what they, their hobbies are, what they actually like that isn't cycling. Cause that's not what the sponsors want you to, the team and the sponsors only want you to them to push their, you know, product or, you know, to promote the team or to promote the products. Um, so yeah, that's the difference with a cross rider is that you, you can easily chat with them. Yeah. 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 But oh, let's stay here maybe because I love that you introduced the project P, uh, yeah, the project P, how do you call, I would call it series that you're producing or whatever. And we are staying, I think on the same golden line here. It seems like the thing that you like the best of your job, of your reportage in cycling or your reportage also in video making and everything is the humanity of the sport. 
how do you find with your project P, uh, yeah, with your project P, how do you find the humanity of these people? How are they? How are these pro cyclists? Well, they're all, the, the, the thing is, once you get through the barriers, once you get, break down all the kind of, the people that surround them, if you take them on their own, they're all amazing people because just to be, uh, you know, in the peloton, uh, you know, a few people said to me, you know, about a certain rider I was about to interview, they'd go, oh, you're not going to get anything from them. They're really boring. All they do is ride their bike. You know, they, they don't have any other hobbies. They just ride their bike. And it's like, no, I'm sure they do. And then I'll sit with them and I'll talk to them, you know, before I'm going to take any pictures. And they tell me about stuff. And you think, why doesn't anybody know this? You know, you're an amazing person. You know, your, your interests, you have the, these fantastic interests that people have no idea. They just think you're this boring person that trains all the time and races all the time and very, very serious about your sport and nothing else. But they've all got, you know, in other interests. They've all got um, or quite often very obscure hobbies. The reason that the Project P came about was actually when I was making the, uh, the cross film, uh, I was uh, researching a lot of history uh, of uh, cyclocross. And I, looking through archives of uh, old pictures, I found a picture of Eddie Merckx with uh, a pheasant. Do you know what I mean by a pheasant? It's no, a type I don't of, know. Uh, so it's a, a bird that... Uh, we have in Britain, mm -hmm. but it, it obviously they're all over Europe as well. But it's like um, they're a wild bird that people hunt, but they can be very colourful. They're kind of okay. like a, a game bird. Um, so this was a picture of Eddie Merckx at about probably 16 years old, maybe 17, and he's got just a, a normal jumper on. It's nothing to do with cycling, and he's got in his arms he's got this brightly colored um uh bird that obviously he's sort of grooming and this was such a strange picture because it's like well this is eddie Merckx when he was a boy with with a, an ornamental bird you know this um you know obviously caring for it and it's like Well, does this mean he used to, his family he used to look at, you know, he used to have them as pets? And it's like, what is this? I didn't, didn't uh, I never would have thought Eddie Merckx would be into this sort of thing. And then it was then that it struck me is that wouldn't that be fantastic to do pictures of like cyclists, pros that we know and doing the things that, we don't know they love or, you know, just not a cyclist, but, you know, as a normal human being. And that was basically the project. That's where it started. Well, that's, that's great. Then we have to talk a bit more about the behind the curtains of, of these projects. So we know how it started and we know that you have done many of those Uh, photos and reportage about these great people and great riders. There is something that 
pops out of it, there is something that is still sticks into your mind or something weird that happened or something like one of the best interviews and talks and things that you have done on the Project P? Um, so one of my favorite riders that I wanted to, to feature, um, uh, well, there, there's, there's, I have a big long list of what I call a hit list and it's very, very difficult to track pro riders down. I can tell you, Benedict, uh, sorry, I can tell you, Benedict, we have a lot of time, so feel free to name yeah. whoever you want. Yeah. So the uh, one rider that I, at the very beginning, I thought I'd love to um, feature Marcel Kittel. You know, I thought he'd be a great rider because he's incredibly good looking and he, he's very... Germanic, he seems like a machine, like a robot, you know, but there's got to be more to him than that. And uh, during the Holy Week last year, I managed to get a window with him. I was working with Katusha and he came in to do uh, the middle of the Holy Week. He hadn't been riding. Uh, he'd been out for a while. He was in a sort of a difficult place, you know, in his head. I think he was really struggling. You know, he wasn't performing. The team were kind of like on him. Uh, and I I basically, he's very, he was very introvert. He was very kind of like, he wasn't really kind of relaxed at all. And I decided to take him away from everything and, and, uh, uh, I found a location that was about a kilometer from the hotel that he was staying at. And uh, I kind of met him and he was all a bit uncomfortable. And I said, you know, there's this place I'd like to go to, you know, it's just, it's a bit of a walk. Um, it's just around the corner, I said, and he goes, it better not be a far walk, you know? And so it was already, I was in, it was very awkward sort of situation and anyway, we sort of walked and it was like round another corner, round another corner. We walked probably for about a kilometre, bearing in mind he's come in to race. So it's not really the done thing to take uh, a pro just before race and to go walking with them. But it meant I could talk to him and gradually kind of like ease into, you know, and he was very very sensitive at that time because it was probably the worst you know it's all a lot of people were expecting lots a lot of performance from him and you know he was just even the team he was uh he wasn't really bonding with the team very well because you know he was came in as their star rider but i don't you know honestly i don't think they felt like they could work for him so it was a very difficult situation. He was uncomfortable. But just walking for a kilometre and talking gradually uh, about his um, childhood, his father, uh, growing up in Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern Germany, East Germany, rather. And I didn't really know that part of his history. So I could really sort of ask him a lot of questions and it was all new to me. Um, but gradually, he kind of um, relaxed and relaxed. And um, 
you know, he was, he's a very sensitive, very interesting person. He's, you know, he's nothing like the, the sort of the character that people probably think of him. I think now people are understanding him more. Now he's out and he's relaxed and he's kind of like, he's a lot happier. But he was uh, very much at that point in the sort of the lowest point of his career. You know, he wanted out, basically. But, you know, so I I'd already picked this concrete um, uh, um, sort of... Uh, underpass that goes underneath a road I was in it was in Ghent and there wasn't a lot around but I thought it would be really nice it would suit his kind of sort of hard Germanic kind of look and it was raining and it was sort of wet and I took these pictures of him with his face kind of half hidden in the shadow and then half hidden by the wall almost subconsciously took them as just interesting photographs and then it was only afterwards and after talking to him I realized that it was so so close to his feeling and his personality at that time and it was kind of like as a photo- as a portrait photographer that's kind of what you 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 try and get the sort of more depth into a picture not just a portrait but more there's more of a hidden story in the pictures uh, and unfortunately, I mean, for my series, uh, there are only rules I've ever set myself for that series is that by, when I take the portrait, they're in the peloton. Um, stops me from going after people that have retired and are easier to get. So that was the rules. But unfortunately, by the time uh, Ruler could print it, uh, he'd left the peloton so he retired. So these pictures could never be printed in ruler, but I still have them. And they're, um, I kind of, they were they're quite strong, quite really strong pictures of him. They have a lot of meaning. And it was great to sort of, you know, be one, probably the one of the last people to sort of speak to, because he literally retired, I think, the end of that week. <laughs> Crazy. That's that's really good. And uh, yeah, it seems like the thing that I want to say here about uh, your kind of amazing things and amazing job that really comes out from the words that you're saying and from the articles and the photo that you take for your project P is that probably you have the perfect way in order to get this uh, portrait of people. So just going close to these guys as most of the time they're not the super um, strong machine that they how they look like you know from tv or from the photos that you can take from the peloton i don't know in their amazing sprints or push on the climbs or whatever but they're just human and uh, while going there close to them and maybe just visit them at their place maybe just going there and start talking about something else something like their lives their hobbies uh, their everyday life and their families and stuff you really can just from the photo i'm not talking about the article itself but just from the photo you can really have a look and snap the real human person that is behind it just from the photo you can see that these are normal people with hobbies 
and win things that are common to all of us. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's almost like I get the same. Doing this is very much like making the For the Love of Mud because that gave me a chance to sort of see the world of cyclocross from sort of inside and the, like you said, the humanity. And this is why I love doing these portraits because it's like, it's, you know, you see these sort of heroes or, you know, these amazing cyclists and just seeing, like you said, that they're real people. Um, I mean, the Kittle one, when he did finally retire, um, or well, you know, he left the peloton, and he suddenly, he you could, he was so happy. It was so lovely to see, you know, that he was obviously just in such turmoil, you know, with his career, and it was the best thing for him to do to step out and to reset, have you know, have a child. Um, live, you know, go cycling with his dad, just enjoy life. And you could see, I could see him from afar, just completely, you know, changing. It was so, so good to see. Um, I mean, I, I get, I do get very attached to everybody I work with. You know, I, t- I do, um, it's, it's quite hard if you say, uh, like you're in the tour and you're following a team and you see what they go through and how tough it is. Um, you know, it's 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 you know it's it's really hard. That sort of world. Yeah, actually, maybe if I can um, put as well another another of your portraits, another of your articles and photo sessions, uh, photo section of uh, of the of the project P. It's a story that is not exactly the same, but can be similar to the one of Jan Boswell, right? Oh, yes. Literally, that, it, yeah, that was so... Ian Boswell um, uh, was someone that um, I didn't even... I didn't know him that well. Uh, a friend of mine kind of introduced us, you know, by kind of like giving us... Uh, you're swapping phones numbers with us. Uh, and I, for a rider that we, we, he, um, we organized, I didn't have, I was in Nice. I didn't have a car. Uh, he had a, um, a little car and I'd, uh, asked him before the sort of things that he was interested in. And he told me about farming and, uh, he had a thing about tractors and, uh, you know, I kind of grew up a bit on a farm as well. So I kind of understood what he was saying. And there's a, a, a tractor that I used to cycle past in a field up in um, uh, on the Grand Corniche in Nice. I always used to look at this tractor that was derelict, that was sitting in a field all rusty and thinking, ah, oh, maybe I should take a picture of that tractor. This I've done this for years, and then I spoke to Ian Boswell and I said, "There's a tractor up on the Grand Corniche in the field." And he goes, "Yes, I know. I see it every time I ride." And I go, "Well, should we? Do you fancy going up there and taking a picture?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'd love to have a look at that tractor." And so we went up there, and we 
connected so instantly and quickly. It was incredible. It was like a, a long lost friend. We literally, uh, we took the pictures, not even, we were, I mean, I wasn't even concentrating because we were talking so much and we were completely relaxed. And then we went and had coffee afterwards and we just, just hung out talking about old cars, tractors, farms, uh, all sorts of different things. And we, everybody that knew us both were kind of laughing because they knew that we would get on so well. They kind of like, this will be really funny if those two meet up because they're like, like exactly the same. And so, yeah, I've, I've probably never felt uh, more relaxed with a pro rider instantly than Ian. He, he's amazing. And then, but literally a week later, I think it was, or two weeks later when he crashed, it's, you know, you feel it because you know the rider so personally that when something like that happens, it's not like you're just watching it on TV and it's a, another pro rider has a crash, or whatever. It's a friend of yours or someone you, you know, has a something like that and i remember i think i i i wasn't sure what happened so i think i texted him to say you you're right whatever and his uh it's now his wife but fiance at the time texts back and said uh you know he, I, he can't really use a phone at the moment you know because it you know so i'm you know i'm sort of i've got his phone and it was like oh my God, you know, this is really bad. And then, of course, that he was, uh, you know, online for the tour that year and he, he obviously couldn't. And then I w was getting from the team where they really wanted him back, but they couldn't, they just couldn't tell if he was going to ever be um, okay to ride because he was just taking a really long time to recover from this and it was quite scary but now I see him you know enjoying uh and you know looking very happy and he got married um he's he's surround you know he's riding around his farm that he's got um so that's really nice to see but yeah, well, he was an he's amazing. I mean, it, literally, we were we connected so fast; it was incredible. We had a, all the same sort of hobbies, all the same thinking. It was it was great. That's amazing, and uh, yeah, as I was telling you before, it seems like really for you by doing this kind of project of going into the cyclist life you're really getting the biggest, the really the great abs, uh, the great essence of the people, you know, really what is inside of their soul. And uh, that's really great. It's really, really an amazing thing. So we talked about, yeah, you became friend with Jan Boswell. You got an amazing bonding as well with Marcel Kittel. Have you made some friends through these projects or for example also uh, your documentary projects or also the the film that you have made with uh, with Kev with Mark Cavendish so are you making friends really on uh, on doing that yeah I mean um, the the cross film uh, almost everybody in it 
I still stay in touch with wow. because it was, um, the, one of my the sweetest things is the the two American kids um, that I interviewed for the Belgium thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, um, I've watched them grow up and uh, take on sort of different careers, you know, from that film. Uh, they kind of both left cyclocross. Uh, well, I saw I, uh, Gavin uh, uh, actually won the Milton Keynes race in England. That was a huge cyclocross race in England. Um, he came back. He came to England and, and won that race. And I, it was funny when he won it because uh, I was I should have been supporting all the British riders, but the one person that, who won because I, you know, I was working with a lot of the British riders at the time, but the, you know, Gavin won it and I could not be, you know, I was more pleased than, than anything else. You know, it was just an incredible win for him. Um, amazing win, but he's, uh, you know, he's, um, a famous singer in the States, you know, he's got albums out, he's got, you know, a big music career, um uh those boys i've watched grow up you know and they they're two fantastic lads you know and it's great to see them you know doing their thing and i stay in touch with them and even their families um but i mean it's just like yeah i mean it, you know helen it was so lovely to see helen well first of all it was helen um got a dog helen wyman uh, and then that was really nice to see. And then, of course, she's just given birth. So that was lovely to see that as well. Um, yeah, no, I've kind of sort of tried to stay in touch with everybody, um, you know, that I've made friends. I I sort of do that, really. I don't kind of, I just collect, you know, like I suppose you collect friendships, really. And in order to, to film somebody, to get the best out of them, uh, you know, you do get to know them quite well. Yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, and I do get quite attached to people that I kind of photograph, and I sort of, you know, if I spend time with someone, I'm, you know, I just naturally get attached to them. You know. Yeah, uh, I have the last question for you, Benedict, and I know that this is something pretty weird to say and to ask in this kind of times but we have to do it because we have to watch at the future in a positive way so my question is super easy yeah. to ask i hope it's going to be easy also to answer what's next if i can i'd like to just keep going with the project p for me was always in my dream was going to be enough pictures to make a book and then possibly you know or an exhibition or both yeah, yeah. So I'm still a long way off, um, and I thought it was going to be easier. I thought it would be like a snowball. I thought I would gradually pick on a few pros that then they would introduce me to or make other pros more relaxed. But unfortunately, the problem I get is that a lot of the big pros have agents and they have they're you know trying to manage their careers so it's like they can only see things 
if the teams and the agents can only see if it's something for them, they're helpful. But if it's not something for them, they're not interested at all. So they do make life very difficult. So if I can get to a rider without going through the team or going through PR, it's usually fine. So, but it's so hard to do. Um, and of course, I've been working, traveling, so it's not easy. So that's proving to be very difficult. But I've got a few friends that keep pushing me not to give up. So I'm going to continue to push you as well on the same direction. Don't give up, man. Yeah, I need the, I need the push. Because sometimes I think, well, why, why am I making life so difficult for myself? You know, um, but I just got to keep going. I mean, they are, I don't think I've come across one that hasn't been great. You know, they're all so nice. And so once you get in, it's fantastic. Um, regarding making another, because some people ask me, are you going to do another For Love of Mud? Straight after that film, I, sw- I just kind of like, oh, this was so hard. Not so much the making. The making, the filming and everything was actually... A sheer pleasure to do and it was so much fun and it didn't really seem like work but the um everything that follows afterwards is so hard for the love of mud was the first film i ever made to try and uh pay for itself so that was also um part of the project was to try and make a film that could actually support itself and it, it did, it, it did actually do that. But to do that, it meant so many, uh, you know, it, it meant that I had to make it commercially viable. And that's not so fun, you know. I'd like, the best things, uh, I think, are, are, if you make them for non-commercial gain and then it's, you can have much more fun with something but it was such a big project to undertake that I needed to sort of you know I had to take money out of my business to finance it and it was more things afterwards the you know I didn't I naively didn't really understand how much uh it would cost in sort of just to put it on at a cinema or to you know, to get it about and the amount of work that was involved, it was, it just never stopped. So I don't see myself making another film like that uh, just because of the time it took up. Um, so I, you know, I think I'll be sticking to more. If I do another film, it'd be maybe a short film, but there's so many more people making films these days that um, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, unless I've been, someone's paying me to make one. I don't know. Well, you made an amazing job with that one. So I would say that probably you can find somebody paying you for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tricky. In Well, in cycling, it's very tricky as being uh, to, to be either a filmmaker or photographer in cycling because there are so many people that will always be there to do it and... Uh, don't charge any money that it's actually very difficult to make any money enough money to to justify doing it i.e to pay your expenses to pay so it is a difficult one 
but yeah, don't tell me, don't talk to me about that. Yeah, exactly. You you know you know how you know how difficult it is. Yeah. Um, of all the sports, I think it's one of the hardest ones mm-hmm. because it costs money to do these things. Uh, but whether you can get the money back is another story. With stills, uh, I can manage stills photography a lot easier. I can justify, you know, mm. doing them and not being paid. That's exactly the thing that I wanted to suggest you. You can actually, something like transpone exactly, move from one side to the other, your documentary, so your For the Love of Mud, into the Project P, something like following the yeah. cycle across people as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I could. And that may be what I do. You know, it's just sort of, I think this present, um, uh, you know, sort of climate we're in with the virus is quite good for resetting people's ideas, uh, you know, making you sit and think about things. I mean, I, when I had my motorcycle crash when I was younger, I had four and a half months in hospital. And that helped me think about my future. You know, I, you know, it gave me a lot of time to think about other things I could do with my life, you know. And, and these, we quite often don't get a chance to do that because we're rushing around, you're know, doing one day after the next, one week after the next. And if you can, if, you're, if you can't work, if you can't do anything, and you're forced to just sit and think about things, you can sometimes, you know, hopefully think of something better to do, you know, more enjoyable, you know, a, a job or uh, that you enjoy rather than a job for just to earn money so maybe this maybe this will turn out to be not so bad yeah because but actually if i can say my two cents here i truly believe that if you have this time you don't have to rush in order to make the next thing happen as you were saying we have this time now we are here we need just to wait and be patient well Let's spend this time to think. And that's the most important thing, to think about what we want from the future, not only to make it happen. We're going to have time to make it happen, but to think about that. This is going to let us having a bit more of a clear mind when uh, you are starting something new in the future. Yeah, exactly. Well, Benedict, it was great, great, great pleasure to talk with you today. It was pretty inspiring. And uh, I, if I have to be completely sincere, the thing that I like the most here, I'm going to give you a live feedback. Uh, the thing that I like the most in our conversation is knowing that there are people like you that are really trying to know people in this world at their best, knowing the human being behind the machine. And that's amazing. Having this kind of humanity or humanity in people around media and around just hanging around in the world of cycling is great and actually gives me a lot of hope for the next future, for the sport or for humanity in general. It's amazing. Thanks a lot for giving me this inspiration and these vibes today. Great. That's brilliant. All I ever want to do is inspire people. That's all I want to do. And that's what you do all the time. And so talking about inspiring people, do you want to leave us with just mentioning where people can find 
your works where people can find your contacts and stuff? Because I think that a lot of people would get a lot of huge inspiration by checking out the things that you do. Yeah, I mean, my um, the easiest thing and the most up-to-date and the most sort of honest is probably my Instagram account because I'm a picture person. Um, it's It's very, very me, you know. So it's my, that's Benedict, B-E-N-E-D-I-C-T 13. Um, my websites, I have a commercial website, benedict1.com, that's really, really out of date and embarrassing. I ne- hardly ever touch it because I, uh, you know, I never get round to doing it because I'm working all the time. And then I have a reportage one that's benedictcampbell.com. And that is, uh, again, I'm very out of date, but it's it's more the reportage feel. It's more kind of what I see in photography. But uh, I think Instagram is, is where I kind of like, it's my day-to-day. So it's the most honest. Perfect. Then, Benedict, I would say thanks a lot for the chat and I will talk to you pretty soon. Whenever you are starting with a new project or whenever you want to talk with me about and on this microphone about some new projects or whatever, just give me a shout. You are always way, way more than welcome. Great. Thank you very much. Good to talk. Good job, Benedict. Ciao. And thank you, Benedict, for the amazing chat. It was really good. We mentioned at the beginning and also during this whole episode, Ruler, Ruler is going out with, actually you can get the older issues of the magazine for free from the iPad app. Well, it's really worth it. Go there and get some content, especially in this period, but also for the future. Try to stay away from social media and stuff. Read a good book, read a good magazine. I don't know, I can mention really so many cool magazines. If you want, I can talk about that. But I can mention so many good magazines because getting inspires, inspired, not inspired, getting inspiration and getting inspired is always the best because this year we are going to have a lot of cycling to do, don't we? Well, nothing else. Thanks a lot to open up to support this season of the podcast and to Andy. Thanks a lot to you for listening to that and for subscribing, rating and reviewing this podcast in all the platform where you are listening to. And give me a feedback. I really need a feedback. Just write me on the Instagram account or at hello at calamaro.cc my email because today I changed my sound and all my recording system and I would love to know if you like it more. I love it more. I think the sound is really better. The one of the intro, the outro actually. The other one was recorded some years ago. Ah, some weeks ago, not some years ago. Okay, I completely cooked today, so I will let you be and I will talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>